Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. Well, when I think about one man playing many parts, the the man that comes to mind for me is Tony Perkins. I had the great pleasure of working with Tony Perkins fairly closely for five years when he was president of the Council for National Policy. And uh, Tony is indeed a man of many extraordinary and effective parts. Uh, He's president of the Family Research Council. He's been chairman of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Uh, He's a syndicated radio host. He's the author of a terrific book called No Fear, A New Generation Standing for Truth. He's a Baptist minister. Uh, He was a Louisiana state representative, a TV reporter, a Marine, a policeman. And when he was five years old, he led his father to Jesus. Tony? Bill, good to be with you. Good to be with you. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. Well, I know. I have no doubt that it'll be interesting, and maybe I'll do it with you. We'll figure something out. (laughs) Well, it's good to be back with you. I enjoyed our time together at CMP. Yeah, well, CMP pulled together all the parts of the conservative movement, which is uh, in uh, in need of pulling together, given all the all the all the stuff we're fighting. Uh, you, you know, your uh, your longtime assistant Lindsay Hofer, who I came to love working together, uh, I asked her to describe you in one phrase, and she said, "Well, Tony, if you look at his career, I'd call him a first responder." And he says, you've got a tendency, she said, you've got a tendency to jump right into things when you see a problem. And I think the thing that got you into, for example, the abortion rights issue was you were a policeman and you discovered an abortion clinic in Louisiana. It was horrifying. It was horrifying. Well, it was, um, yeah, I, I, I do have that orientation as a, as a first responder. You see a problem, you, you respond to it. You see an opportunity, you respond to it. You, uh, but you're driven by a desire to help people. And, you know, I, and I think that we all, to some degree, have that, especially as, as believers, as followers of Christ, our desire is to help other people. Now, sometimes that, that help takes on the atmosphere of conflict because sometimes there is resistance to help. I've seen that before. When you're mm-hmm. trying to help someone, they're so panicked they uh, they respond in what appears to be a negative way. And the same is true politically when we're addressing some of the issues we are today, having an understanding of where these things lead, but people sometimes are locked into the very, to this moment and they don't realize. And so that's why we see a lot of conflict uh, in our culture today. Um, but I, I would say that a first responder is adequate as a, as a, as a descriptor. Now, my, my time in law enforcement, I, I, there was only two things I ever wanted to do growing up. I either wanted to ride on the back of a garbage truck when I was uh, about four years old. That was my desire. I always thought that was neat to ride on the back of a fire truck, or I mean a, a, a garbage truck, quickly pass through that phase. But then it was to be a police officer. 
Um, I, I always wanted to do that. I lost that dream uh, in the in. In 1992, Operation Rescue came to Baton Rouge, and I had friends uh, that were in the churches and the pro-life movement, and obviously friends in the police department, because that's where I was. And I saw something that really, for the first time, illustrated to me this really life and death issue over the abortion, and, and this was a battle of good and evil, and I saw good people engage in bad things. Uh, they were beating peaceful pro-life protesters. I mean, these protesters weren't doing anything but sitting. And this shocked me. And um, I, I spoke out about it. And uh, as a result, I was uh, ushered out of the police department. Uh, and that uh, opened a door for me then to, to move into media, something I never You planned. were fired from the police department because of your position on, on what was happening at the yeah. abortion clinic. I, I spoke out about it, and I was told that that violated department policy of speaking out publicly. And this was what year? This was 1992. And so that opened the door then to, I was offered a position as a television reporter because I, I actually filmed some of this, and it was turned over to a, a uh, television yeah. uh, news agency. And so they offered me a position. I started covering politics, the Louisiana legislature, which opened the door for me to run uh, for office. Well, I felt, felt the Lord leading me into that arena, again, because we saw bad things happening in, in that period of time in Louisiana. Louisiana had, had, was the target of the biggest FBI investigation to the time, to, up to that point in time over corruption revolving around gambling. Louisiana at that time had more gambling than Nevada. Well, you had a history of Huey Long, too. Well, there's a long history. Hit, Louisiana is not exactly he, known as But it's the, changed. It's really yeah. turned a corner. And that was a period of that time when we saw I was a reform well, candidate. Well, when you left the police department, did they offer you an alternative? They said, if you just back down, we'll, we'll yeah, keep they you. did. They, they, so this was—you took a stand. Yeah, I was. All, I was suspended, and then the uh, the, the chief, uh, who's a good friend of mine now. I mean, he's a very good friend of mine. He's retired, but he's a good friend. Um, he said, you know, look, if you'll promise not to say anything and just abide by this, then you can come back. And you wouldn't do it. No, I, I, okay. I can't. I said I couldn't do that. Well, that's, you know, that leads us, I don't I want to jump through the whole resume. We're not going to cover every piece of it. We'd be here for 17 hours, but fast forward to being president of the Family Research Council, you take a lot of stands for which you paid price. Well, I, yeah, you could say that, but I mean, I think we're, there is truth. And I know in this postmodern world, there's this idea that truth doesn't exist, but there is truth and truth is worth defending. Right. Uh, and as a father of five children, and now a, f a grandfather. What, what's your tagline on this on the radio on your radio show? You're hosting about every... standing. Yeah. What's the? Well, it comes from Ephesians chapter six, right? Where uh, Paul talks about in that final chapter to the Ephesians that we're we're wrestling with not flesh and blood. This is not a battle with people, but it is a spiritual battle against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God. And, and so he goes through listing those elements of the scripture or of uh, the armor. Uh, and by the way, Paul is writing this in prison in Rome when mm -hmm. he writes this letter. This is the letters? Yeah, there were four that he wrote yeah. uh, from the jail, uh, from prison in Rome. And he 
he finally he really summarizes this is now I close my radio program is that when you've when you've when you've prayed because he says that we're to pray and when you've taken your stand when you've prepared and you've taken your stand when you've done all you stand there there is no retreat there is no surrender we stand firm well you cover that in your book no fear tell me about what how you came up well, with the stories you know i i I wrote that a few years ago, and it was actually probably one of the most enjoyable writing projects. And I'm not a, I'm not a big writer. I, I like radio. I like television. I'm not a writer. But I wrote that. Uh, yeah, I'm the same way. It's a lot easier to talk. It, it is. Sit. It is. <laughs> and, and I labor behind a keyboard. Yeah. But that was uh, what I actually did is I took and I interviewed uh, a lot of young people because we kept hearing all this stuff about whether well, young people, they're, they're lost. Uh, we're, we're not going to get them. And there's actually young people who are standing firm for truth. Now, it's, it's a remnant, but I just saw the conviction. I am attracted to courage. Because courage breeds courage. Mm -hmm. And when you see people standing up courageously, you know, I, I want to look at it more. I want to look into it. I want to look into their story. So I actually tell their story. So the first story in there is Lila Rose. Uh, I, I, she's uh, a young girl who now is just about to have her first child. She stood up against Planned Parenthood. In fact, she was the first really to come in and go undercover and, 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 and tell in great detail kind of the corruption within Planned Parenthood, which has led to some of the other things we've seen in recent times. And she did this as a young uh, UCLA student in California. And so I tell her story and, and what led up to it. So it's, it's really stories. And, mm -hmm. and then... Well, they're good stories. Yeah, they're, good they're, yeah. They're, they're stories of courage. They're, they're stories of people yeah. who stood up for their conviction. Now, you might not agree with them, but you have to agree with courage and, and their motivation for doing it. And then each chapter, there's 13 chapters, it actually ends up with a, a Sudanese mother, Christian mother, that we helped... Uh, get out of uh, prison in Sudan, who was uh, was sentenced to, to death, uh, Miriam Ibrahim. But w each of those have a biblical devotion that goes along with it to lay the biblical principle for the stand that that individual took. Well, Family Research Council teaches people to live by the biblical worldview. What we do is we work on public policy as it pertains to families from yeah. a biblical perspective. So mm -hmm. we, we think, you know, the, the founders of this nation had an orientation that they may, not all of them were, were Christian, but there was a shared worldview which came from the Judeo-Christian ethic. And so our <clears throat> premise is if that was good enough to build a country on, it's good enough to continue to guide a country by today. Well, I don't think the country works without a Christian morality informing the Constitution and everything else we do. I mean, that for me, that's flat out. If you take Christianity out of the equation, it, it's hard to think about how this uh, this country really works. And we've taken Christianity out of the equation, and we're reaping the uh, the whirlwind. Well, and that's been part of your journey. <laughs> yes, it is. I mean, you've you've came. You mean, you mean my recovering libertarian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you've you've connected the dots. Yeah, you've had a front row seat to this. I mean, you very successful in business, and that's when we met. You came into the conservative movement with that orientation, but you've honestly come to this understanding that all of these pieces have to fit together for it to work. 
Yeah, if you, unless you have faith in family and civil society, forget about business. And they're all interrelated. And how you come to it, whether you come to it through utilitarian reasons or whether you come to it through faith, you still end up at the same place. You have to have all that. And I think we're paying a price for not... Uh, I mean, that's what keeps it tethered to the, the, the you know, the whole, I, I'm, I'm a free market guy. I am for, I, I am excited when people prosper, yeah. when people, I am not at all upset that we've got billionaires in this country. I wish we had more, but I also know that that success has to be tethered to truth in that the problems we've seen on Wall Street is not because we didn't have enough government regulation. It was because we were missing the moral foundation. Bad actors, yeah. You're watching the Bill, or, um, this is the Bill Walton Show. And uh, I used to say watching, but we've got so many people listening to the show, we're now just saying, this is the Bill Walton Show. And it is, and I'm here with Tony Perkins, who's one of my heroes. He's president of the Family Research Council. And we're talking about how talking about my background a bit in finance and, and, and Wall Street and about how the, you really can't succeed even there without a firm moral foundation for everything. So it's uh, um, th this idea that you can divorce uh, economics from morality and, and, uh, and uh, civil society, you just can't do it. Doesn't work. Yeah. It, 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 we, but I remember you and me getting together. You, you, I, you, you were the one that brought me in as vice president of council for national policy. And I was sort of off the street, and I had some skills that could help you with, but sort of the first couple of dinners we had, you, you explained to me the biblical worldview, and I thought, well, this is, this is new. <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out to be a terrific journey. We made a, we made a great team. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it, was, yeah. It, was a, it was an enjoyable journey. Uh, what, we talked about this before we get on. I kind of want to jump into where we are right now with... Uh, what's happening with schools and with parents and with critical race theory and the uh, really both of you and I are optimists really the opportunity that's come out of this terrible uh, terrible lockdown uh, mandate world we've been in yeah yeah I, I'm as as a believer I, I think you have to be an eternal optimist and so I I'm just optimistic I can always find something um, positive about what's unfolding and and, I, and it's not being denying reality I mean, our country's in trouble there's no there's no question our country is in trouble but what gives me hope and i was sharing this with some uh, republican leaders on the hill recently in conversation with them is that the virus as you said the lockdown gave parents really forced parents to pay attention to what their kids were being taught in the schools and i think if, if i could pin you know put my finger on one thing that I think has been very problematic for our country. It's been what's happening in public education for the last several decades. In particular, it began to accelerate under the Obama administration, where we went from teaching children to excel with the basics that we began to train activists. And, and those that are you know, in the education system will, will admit this, uh, that under the Department of Education, and, and what was being fed into the education system was to train young people to be social activists, seeking social justice. I mean, all these things don't happen um, on their own. I mean, the, the riots we saw in 2020, really the seeds had been planted years before. So parents now have a front row seat and they're appalled at what they're seeing. You know, the critical race theory is a part of it, but this radical gender ideology is a part of it. 
I mean, we've seen this play out in Virginia and Loudoun County, uh, where the, the school superintendent and the school board covered up the fact that their bathroom policy that was pushed by the Biden administration, previously from the Obama administration, led to sexual assaults. And they denied it. They knew it. The memo, the paper trail has shown that they knew it, but yet they covered it up. This, and this is not just Loudoun County, it's happening all across the country. We've been working with activists across the country that are requesting documents through the FOIA request. I, my prediction is that this will eclipse the Tea Party movement of 2010 in the midterm election. Parents have had enough. Two things. One, one I want to get into the Merrick Garland memo. Uh, but you're really saying, I, you're saying because the bathroom policy changed everything that led to this behavior and so i, I look i think it's look when you've I got mean, it makes sense to when me. you've you got create an when you've got boys i don't care if they're wearing a skirt or what they're wearing but if you got biological males in a girl's restroom locker room you are inviting problems and you've had you have you've had two girls there that have been sexually assaulted in just in loudon county now and then you had a school system trying to cover it up. Look, as a father of three girls, I, there's, not a, there's not a decent man in this country who would not fight for his daughters. If, if he is, he's not a decent man, quite frankly. Uh, because I think we need to protect our daughters and we need to protect our sons. That's the role of a parent. That's why God gave children to parents and not to governments. And, and parents are once again beginning to exercise their God-given responsibility. Now, I talk about this on my program a lot because my audience is Christian and they understand, predominantly Christian, they understand a, a biblical context. But ch children are given to parents and parents are to train them up in the way that they should go. Parents are given the authority and the responsibility to teach and to train their children. Now you can delegate the authority. I can delegate it to a, a public school, I can delegate it to a private school, I can delegate it to a tutor, but I can never delegate the responsibility. I am the one who will ultimately be responsible for the training of my children. And parents have to understand that. And I think there is a understanding now that the government schools are not working in the best interests of our children, or in our families. In fact, they're driving a wedge between parent and child. Well, it seems like that's the fundamental divide. Do you think that children should be raised by the state, or do you think children should be raised by well, parents? Well, if you're a Marxist, you would say the state. Well, exactly. I mean, that's the way. It, it's not just economic issues. It's the it's the well, cultural issue. Well, you have to you, you have got, to start got, with the family. Yeah. So, uh, and I, you know, it's interesting with the lockdowns and and keeping schools closed, kids learning on their computers parents started looking over their shoulder to see what it was they're being taught. And that was cataclysmic for people who were trying to push this stuff. And well, so let me give you a personal example. My, uh, one of my daughters is in law school, and uh, their, their classes are by Zoom. Now, I would have never gone to class with her to sit in the class, uh, but uh, I've, I've been able to look over her shoulder. Uh, not that, you know, I was prying or anything because she she invited me to come and watch i think we have a right to, i think we have a right to learn what our kids are, yeah, are well, being taught yeah. anyway especially when we're, especially <laughs> we're paying the bill but the the, the <laughs> lunacy 
of uh, of the stuff that they are talking about in these uh, these classes. So yeah, I understand. Parents are getting for the first time a front row seat to the indoctrination of their children. I think you're exactly right, though, about the education issue energizing probably something much bigger than the Tea Party movement. I'm totally oh, yeah. I'm totally in agreement with that. I mean, we've as we're when we're taping the show, Merrick Garland has just appeared before uh, Congress. Was it the Senate, Senate, Judiciary, House, Senate Judiciary Committee? And you know, he wrote this memo saying that because the parents are threatening the school boards with violence, which, of course, they haven't been, and because of the incidents of violence against school board members, which there haven't been, he now is instructing the FBI and all the other instruments of the uh, Justice Department to work with local authorities to help provide protection back to your police days, local police. Now, I guess he had to do it that way because the FBI doesn't really have any jurisdiction. Well, it was interesting. In the hearing, um, Tom Cotton, Senator Cotton, Arkansas, brought this out, that there was actually another memo that uh, Garland said he hadn't seen or wasn't aware of, but it was a three-page memo that listed all of the uh, charges, federal charges, that could be levied against parents uh, at the, uh, that were involved in some of these issues. Federal charges. Federal charges. So they were looking for ways to go after these parents. But that didn't get in, end up in the memo, but that's in it the was pocket. A, it was a secondary memo that was being circulated. Well, you and I talked about this before. This seems to be a way to head off what we think is a is a is a roiling uh, revolt against what's going on, and and that the demo, you know, this this memo came from. It was, it was triggered by the National School Board Association wrote a five-page uh, denial letter saying they weren't doing things like teaching critical race theory in K-12 when in fact Merrick Garland's son-in-law has got a business teaching critical race theory in about 25% of American schools. So there's that. And then they got the Democrat and the white the operatives in the White House involved in this because what are they afraid of? 2022. They are afraid of 2022 and parents who, I mean, I, I, I see this as really kind of a, um, it's an army of mama bears that are being raised up across the country because, you know, you, you get between, when, when you, Parents kind of suspected something was going on, and they there was these issues they were dealing with, but all of a sudden they saw it. And then when they began to address it, the other aspect, Bill, that makes this thing so outrageous is the arrogance we see coming from the educational establishment. You yeah. made a reference to the memo, the National School Boards Association. If you read that, and I've read it, the arrogance and the, 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 the sense of disdain for parents, it is shocking. And, and you watch some of these school board meetings, and I've watched a lot because we've encouraged people to go, and the arrogance of some of these school board members toward parents is if we have to waste our time with these parents. And, of course, you've seen the gubernatorial candidates in Virginia addressing this issue. Terry McCullough saying parents have no right uh, to determine what their children are being taught. Uh, this, the left is so... Has, has run the table for so long that they can't even blush or even be thoughtful that maybe they're overstepping their bounds. How big is this? 
world and across the country? I think it's huge. I think it, you know, the Tea Party was big. And I've been at this, and I've been in politics 25 years. I've been here in D.C. almost 20. So I've, I've had a benefit you know, with that's gray when, that's hair. when you became president of the yeah. Research Council. Yeah. You know, gray hair gives you, uh, you know, longevity gives you a, a, a longer-term perspective. And, you know, I, I saw this play out with Obamacare in 2009 in the 2010 elections. We see them pushing the same agenda, big, overreaching agenda. People are pushing back. But I think... You know, the, the infrastructure bill, the reconciliation, the $29 trillion in debt, those are all big issues. But I'm telling you, the biggest issue is the one closest to home. And it's when it comes to the, to the, to the children of parents and what they see now so clearly in the open that runs counter to all they know to be in the best interest of their children and what they want to pass on to their children. Parents are not going to let this go. This is the Bill Walton Show. I'm here talking with my great friend, Tony Perkins, and President of the Family Research Council. And we're talking about the, the rage that's boiling um, because of the way the schools are abusing uh, their, their privileges to teach our children. Somehow parents think we think we should be involved, and I think we would be right. So we've got education. We've got CR critical race theory which is an issue. And then on top of that, we've also got these mandates, Yeah, the vaccine mandates. Right. And I mean, I, you know, I'm an economic, I know a lot about economics. And when you start deeming businesses essential and non-essential, it's crazy. And I was thinking about this even when this, with this started, that when you start doing that, you start wrecking, the economy is a very, very intricate uh, organism where all the parts are connected with each other it's like saying well these fingers are not essential right. You, you're right-handed right so you don't need your left hand it doesn't work that way right. uh, you can't have the governor of michigan say this department of home depot is essential and this one isn't and, it's, it's, and we're paying the price for that right, right now right. and so we've got all that supply chain nonsense rising prices uh consequence of of uh of people deceiving things essential, non-essential. Now we've got the mandates, and they're man the police are leaving. I've heard that twenty percent of the New York City Fire Department going to be, be closing leaving. down. Teachers are leaving. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a disaster, and the supply chain situation. And and I've had that bill in in Louisiana. You know, going back to that first responder. W in the last 20 years, we've had a lot of natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, and, and we've responded. To, you know, I've done that in various capacities. But I've seen how fragile... We lost your own house. Yeah, the whole community we, 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 we did, yeah, in 2016. But I've, I've seen now repeatedly how fragile our distribution system is, our, the supply chain. Because one of those disasters hits, doesn't take long for basically society to be frantic. Now... That's just a snapshot in a, in a small geographical area. But we're looking at that now nationally and even globally with the breakdown of the supply chain. And I can tell you how quickly society breaks down when people don't get the essentials. I mean, I've seen, we just had it. We just had a hurricane um, uh, about a, I don't know, a month and a half ago, two months ago, uh, which I 
I'm back involved in law enforcement. I, I love it, and so I still do some things there with local law enforcement. Uh, and so I was helping out, and uh, we, we had two shootings uh, at a gas station where people couldn't get gas because we didn't have gas, and so people become frantic because they, they can't get what they want. And this is actually in a, in a pretty conservative uh, law and order area of, uh, of Louisiana. So when you look at what's happening when, when parents can't get the food for their children or basic supplies that you need, this breakdown, you know, we're being warned about Christmas. I'm not so concerned about missing Christmas. I'm concerned about what's going to happen when the bigger supply chain of the, of the fundamental uh, basics of life are not working. Um, we're at, we could be in a really, really bad situation. So we've got, let's just pile on pile on pile here. We've got CRT, we've got the parents, we've got terrible stuff being taught in schools. We've got mandates now with the vaccines that are causing people to leave the workforce. All these things are education, maybe not so much, but the, but the lockdowns and the, uh, the mandates are working together to disrupt the supply chain. And then we've got... Uh, I don't know. How, what else can we add to our list of horribles right now? Well, I mean, let's talk, if you want to talk about uh, foreign policy and what's happening internationally. Yeah, I, I mean, want to talk about that. You've got a unique window into that because of your work with the um, International co or the Commission. Well, <clears throat> Afghanistan was a, a debacle. Uh, we're still trying to get uh, religious minorities out of Afghanistan that were abandoned there. And not to mention, uh, the number keeps rising of the number of Americans that were left behind. How many do you think now? Well, as of uh, last week, the State Department uh, late in the week admitted there was over 400 and some that were wanting to leave that were still left behind. And that, yeah. that increased about 100 from the previous week. So uh, that's an issue. I mean, what we see happening in China... I. I, I will tell you, as one who's been sanctioned by China, that China is our greatest adversary. And China threatened you. Yeah. Didn't yeah. they say something about Yeah, they, I don't know if it was a euphemism or whatever. By the way, China's watching the show. Hi, guys. Yeah. Um, we've done a lot of shows on China. And well, what's, China's what's a bad actor. The Chinese Communist Ch Party? China is a, is a bad actor, and they're being emboldened by the policies of this administration. They were emboldened by what happened in Afghanistan. Um, they are they they repress their own people, uh, but they're exporting that, and that's uh, you know it's a problem with what they're doing to the Uyghurs and other religious minorities. But they're taking that technology and they're exporting it to other tyrannical governments, and so uh, someone has to stand has to hold them in check. And it was under the Trump administration. It was it was the United States. That's not the case now. Well, I remembered my, my th I was going to go with three things. Our energy policy is, is you, you talk about the, a, a boiling bit of trouble here. Energy policy, by shutting down production, we have uh, things as simple as uh, uh, natural gas and, and uh, fuel, the fuel that people use to heat their houses with. Prices are likely to go up two or three or four times, and in some places it's going to be unavailable. Well, it's, it's in their policies only. See, this is, goes back to like the mandates and the disruption in the supply chain. You would think that you want to address the issues and not add to them. Adding these vaccine mandates that is driving people from the workforce is multiplying the problems in the supply chain. 
the energy policy under this reconciliation bill where they want to move Americans over the next eight years to get 40% of their energy from renewable sources, and you're cutting off pipelines, you're cutting off uh, domestic production, you are making the situation worse. And at this same time, of course, we're doing this all because of the environment, you know, uh, and, and I'm a conservationist. I love the outdoors. I'm all for uh, reducing... Habitat, habitat and species we need to protect. Absolutely. But we've yep. been doing that. We're doing we, it. We have been doing that and over the last... By the way, our air is cleaner than it's been ever. And so is our water. Yeah. We've been doing... And, and this has been driven mostly by technology of industry. Mm -hmm. Industry is doing it. They realize it, it benefits them to be a good neighbor not because the government told them to. What, it, uh, there is a place for government regulation. Don't get me wrong. I, I, but this whole idea that we're going to save the planet by basically eliminating um, it, reliable energy sources, going to crush our economy, while at the same time China is going to continue going forward. I mean, they're putting on online almost one coal plant every week about 50 a year coal burning plants right and we're shutting them down over here so uh i've got to find sort of an optimistic line of action here <laughs> one of the well that, here's the things that you that tony perkins says you among all the people i've worked with seems to have good relationships with people on capitol hill that you talk to people they talk with you they share with you when you're in the building and you're seeing how people are, are interacting with each other, left versus right, how, how, can, how can the Democrats in Congress feel that this is going to go well for them? They don't. They don't. What They're, are they saying? They, they, they know that this is not going to go well for them. I, I think Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and them are, are at a breaking point. Now, I, I cannot predict what's going to happen with this reconciliation bill. By the time this airs, that may have been resolved. But they are... This is taking them a lot longer than they thought. Um, they are very divided, and they're Democrats that are beginning to realize that their future does not look good if they're tethered to the current Democratic leadership. But here, Bill, here's, here's what it comes back to. And, and I do want us to leave on an optimistic note. Otherwise, we got to... Yeah. <laughs> well, for, first off... You, look, you don't drink. Otherwise, uh, we yeah. adjourn for martinis. <laughs> <laughs> look, America was a country that was established by problem solvers. We, we are a people that, that have been energized historically by challenges. I mean, you go back and read A Plymouth Plantation and the pilgrims who came over here. In fact, this, this fall will be the 400th anniversary of the first Thanksgiving. Hmm. They gave Thanksgiving. They, they had this Thanksgiving, and they thanked God, not the Indians. They thanked God for what he had brought them through. And they had lost almost half of their first number. They, they, out of 105, 52 died in the first eight months. They, they, were, they were living off one kernel of corn a day at the height of the winter, that first winter. But it came around and they were still thankful and they gave thanks and they persevered. And look what we have today. They were grateful for the opportunity to endure the challenges. This is our generation. 
This is our time. Yes, there are challenges and they're great. But you know what? Great people are made from great challenges. And I believe America can still have a future, but it's not going to come from Washington, D.C. It's not going to come from state capitals across the country. It's going to come from moms and dads who are sitting across tables like this to determine, you know what? I'm going to chart my future. I'm going to chart the future of my children. I'm going to take, as Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, they rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem by building it in front of their homes. Each family challenged to do their part. You know, this is time, Bill, that Americans need to step forward and do their part. I so agree. Uh, this is the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Tony Perkins, and we're talking about uh, our faith in basic Americans' ability to come back, solve problems, and, and, and restore their freedoms, our freedoms. Uh, but I, I, you know, I've got, I'm filled with questions because you've got all these avenues that you're involved in. Let's take churches. Family Research Council's got a network of churches around the country. I may be wrong in this, but my perception is that the churches were very passive in the face of the lockdowns. And in terms of fighting for our freedoms, they didn't really do some, it. Some, some. And the churches also aren't very good in economic issues. And there's a whole social justice piece of churches in a way that I think we, we lose them. Uh, I, th I think we got to, <clears throat> we, it's like when we talk about Congress. You know, Congress, yeah. it, it, when you talk about Congress as a whole, People have a bad idea or a bad perception, and it's probably correct. But when you talk about a congressman or congresswoman, it changes. And so same thing with churches. I mean, you talk about churches generally, they have been missing the mark. But when you begin to look at individually, there, there, have been, there were churches out there that stood up to these uh, tyrannical uh, mandates not to meet. They met anyway. Uh, and I'm you know, we've got about 15,000 churches in our network, and, and a large number of them resisted this. And I will tell you what's encouraging is that those churches that did have exploded in growth because people are looking for answers. They're looking for leadership, whether it's political, spiritual. People are looking for leaders because they know intuitively that things are not right. But, you know... I, Again, I, I operate from a kind of a scriptural standpoint that the Bible describes us as sheep. Well, Most people are sheep. They're looking to be led. What about the... I, as, as you know, you've, you and I have been through this journey together in part, and, and, and I, I, I fully appreciate that we've got to have a spiritual component to our resurgence, to our coming back from where we are. What about a possibility of a great awakening? A third grade awakening. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was just talking with a pastor uh, on my way over here to to uh, to tape this with you, who's uh, doing some revival services on the West Coast. He says he's never seen anything like it. Um, that these people are coming in for hours. In fact, I just had an event with uh, with young people, college students and younger. Uh, packed house over 700 came in for a for a night vision uh, a, a version of the of the message they were giving. And, and they're coming back. There's a hunger. So I, I do think there's a realization that what we've been doing is not working. And we've got to chart a better way. And it's, um, it's, it's faith in action. We've got to have the spiritual basis, uh, that foundation. I mean, it really begins, you know, for, for personal, 
that personal peace, that personal sense of mission and purpose when we come to a relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, it, it, it puts everything into perspective. And then from there, we can build out and we can reach our community, we can reach others, we can serve. But it's got to start with that personal peace. Because then you can have peace in the midst of the storm, knowing that there is a bigger plan here, and you're a part of it. The Second Great Awakening, what, didn't it, what was that, 1840-something, and there was a point right. at which America, our alcohol consumption then was off the charts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The civil communities were coming apart. Yeah, we've been here before. We—that's my—that's where I'm going with this. I mean, there was a time in America about then that people thought it was over. Yeah. So, what are the elements for a third grade? Well, you say it's personal, but what do we? Well, I think you know what you have. Social media companies will let us communicate with each other. Well, you know, I don't want to bring that up. Yeah, (laughs) it's. um, It becomes more complex when you when you have the larger society is. Yeah and the more locked in we are in certain ways. And so what I kind of see our role at FRC, this may offend some people, but, you know, so I offend Let's make news. Okay. Well, (laughs) our role, I see our role in Washington, and I tell people all the time, we're not going to change the country. Washington is not going to change the country. Politics is downstream from culture, Mm -hmm. and culture is downstream from the church. It should be historically. Now, I would, I would argue that the church is drinking from the stream of culture too much today. And we mm. need to go back to our role of being the influencer of the culture, which influences politics. What I see our primary role at the Family Research Council right now is to simply give families, churches, believers the opportunity to live out their faith unmolested by the government. We're just keeping the barbarians at bay here in Washington. We're trying to keep the policies from repressing the faith that holds the hope for the future of the country. Who are your allies? Um, in, in D.C. or? In D.C. and around the country. I mean, what's the coalition look like? Well, I, I think there... I think of you as a coalition builder. Yeah, you know, we, you know, we, we can't do... You know, but Paul says that we're one body, many members. And we, we, we don't function with just one arm or mm-hmm. one leg. We, gotta, we, we can't do everything. I mean, th- there's a, you know, it depends on the issue in terms of, you know, we can make uh, kind of a team up with others depending on what the issue may be. Uh, our focus primarily is working with churches and being kind of a bridge with churches into this realm. And the same thing with helping politicians, political leaders, be able to communicate more effectively with with churches. I mean, that's probably our biggest Mm -hmm. ally. Now, of course, we work with all the the other kind of conservative groups here in Washington, depending on what the issue may be. Um, But we see our mission as pretty straightforward, and we we stay in our lane. You know, we uh, want to work where we can with others, but we see our role is really as, a, as an organization working on policy, speaking from a biblical perspective, which um, is not real common in this city. Um, <laughs> but we don't mind filling that space. I, for, I forgot to mention in the intro your sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> 
Occasionally, yeah. Occasionally it comes down. Well, no, it's not real common. No, that, that would be true. Um, so as we, as we begin to wrap up here, I, I think we've got, let, let's come back to where we were with the, the pivot point may be what's happening with schools and education and parents. Do you think that's the catalyst to really get I, back I to a governing majority? I, I, I do. I think it's... Because um, Trump lost all the suburban women. Yeah. But this is bringing them back. Because it's where they are. Yeah. I mean, what you got when, you, when you're in, when you're in business, when you're a salesman, you don't you sell what people need. If you meet a need, you're going to have a customer. And and I, I had this conversation with some of the Republicans. I said, look, this is where people are. This is what they're concerned about, and rightfully so. I mean, this is not. I want to be very clear on this. This is not pandering. This is this is addressing a critical, real need for every mother and father, and that for very few, and I know that there are some disconnected parents, but the vast majority of parents love their children and they want their children to do well. And they understand that a key part of that is a solid education, not an indoctrination, not teaching them what to think, but teaching them how to think. We've lost that in our education system today, and we're, we're producing activists. So as the Republicans and as others address those issues and, and, and equip parents to be able to fulfill their desire, you're going to have allies. And now one thing, Bill, that's happening, and, and I, I guess I should have said this earlier in, in, in complete disclosure, disclosure, you know, we've homeschooled our children. Uh, my wife has homeschooled our five children because I think that was the best thing for us and it, without question. But that has more than doubled in the last two years. Homeschooling, Homeschooling is yeah. growing by leaps and bounds. Um, but primarily, you know, it was several things. The, the, the lockdowns, the mask, the mandates, but also the curriculum uh, that the children are being exposed to. Well, I think the thing that I hope, I'm hopeful about is that this exposes, because I've, I've owned a, a dozen education businesses, either directly or through private equity firms. I've started some from scratch. And I don't think until now people really understood the mindset of the education establishment. And this is this permeates school boards, it permeates teachers unions, permeates the teachers colleges, the textbook uh, publishers, the accreditors. I mean, there's a there's there's like eight or nine of these interrelated people, and they all they all march in lockstep. Yes. And, and, and so for parents really to wake up, they've got to be able to understand. No, no, it's not just. It's not just the school board. It's 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 a much bigger. It is issue. a cabal. It is it is massive. And I, when I was in office in Louisiana, uh, there was a couple of reform educational reform efforts I took on, and I you know I locked horns with the education establishment in that lobby. There's very few lobbies that are stronger than the educational lobby, and so this is why this is a this is. You know why, Tony? Because they're doing it for the children. Yeah, there's a lot of money in it too. <laughs> this, that's why this moment is so important. Yeah, is because you have, I agree. You have this focus onto yeah. one area, so a collective focus of the American people, even people who don't have kids in schools, are looking at this, and rightfully so, because they live in the communities that that uh, are going to be run by these kids that are produced through these schools. So the number one thing we have to do is take back control of education yes 
And that looks, and that, that comes in many different forms. It mm -hmm. depends, you know, for, for, I encourage homeschooling if it works, uh, other forms, but even so we cannot neglect the control of the public schools, making sure that we get back to educating our children and not indoctrinating them. All right, Tony Perkins. It's fun to finally get you here. It's, it's been a uh, long time. It has been a long time. It's been a complicated last couple of years, though. So this is the Bill Walton Show, and I've been here with Tony Perkins, president of uh, Family Research Council and, Council and Filled with Wisdom, and hope you'll join us next time. And, of course, you can catch the show on all the major uh, uh, platforms, both video and, and audio, and uh, Usually on YouTube if they haven't banned any particular show, but I think we I think we might get through with this. Yeah, we one. might. We 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 avoided most of the landlines. Okay, most of them. Anyway, thanks for joining. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over a hundred episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our interesting people page. And send us your comments. We read everyone, and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.